Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Food 360, the podcast that serves up some serious food for thought. I'm your host, Mark Murphy. Today, I'm happy to welcome an old industry friend who I've bought a lot of fish from over the years and still buy a lot of fish from, Sean Dimon, CEO and founder of Sea to Table. Thank you for coming to my podcast, Food360. Very exciting to have you as, as my guest. I want to just first sort of tell my people how I know you. So your company is called Sea to Table, and I was buying fish from you when I had a bunch of restaurants, and I still buy fish from you. But first, I want to talk about, and I'm, I'm trying to go back in my memory bank of stories that we have together. But there was one thing that I remember particularly. When I had a sandwich, there was a fish sandwich that I had on at Ditch Plains. I remember this very specifically. And at the end of a winter season, I think you or somebody that works with you came to me and said, here, there's a note from the fisherman who was fishing the fish for your fish sandwich. You kept them in business throughout the winter because of that fish sandwich that was so popular in your restaurant. And it really literally brought a tear to my eye. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing that this is a company that is tying together a fisherman and a restaurateur to his customers and you see the good that we're doing. And 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 is that, did, are you the one who told me that story or somebody? I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. I want to say that was at maybe up in Ditch Plains. Yeah. He reached out to me. I remember it. Because what we started doing with you, Mark, and you were so awesome. And you were, you were right there at like the forefront of when we started doing it is figuring out how to not just buy whatever f is fresh and caught that day, but by basically putting a, a, a contract on the boat. And you guys are saying, hey, we've got six restaurants. We're going to do the same menu item across all these restaurants. We know we're going to have these pars at these locations and we're going to need it for the next six months. And you guys allowed us to go and find guys like John Bart up in Sitka, Alaska, 
and say, hey, John, there's this guy named Mark. He's got these restaurants and he wants Alaskan Pacific cod or he wants your sable fish or whatever he was able to catch during those seasons and put a put a pound to it and put a price to it. And if I'm remembering correctly, he actually had some really bad, nasty back surgery in the off season and he got a payment that came through for his purchase, like as he was laid up and not being able to work and turned around and like expressed some sincere appreciation. And I, I remember that one. Well, that's, I mean, it, it, it makes it worth it. I mean, it's beautiful that your company and, and, and let me let, well, why don't you just give us a quick description of, of your company? We've evolved over the years, but one thing that we've always stayed true to is we want to figure out how to get more Americans to eat better fish. And the way that we do that is we seek out U.S. wild caught, sustainable and traceable fish. And it could be as much as finding grouper fishermen off the coast of Florida that were doing uh, the restaurant you were in, the Seminole Casino, and figuring out how to connect it, you know, 60 miles away from where they're actually landing, which is actually a hard thing to do, or figuring out how to source from Alaska in the season. I, I can remember the chef at the casino when I had a restaurant down there, and it was at the Tampa Hard Rock Casino. I remember the chef had been a, sh had been a chef in Chicago, and he says, I don't understand it. It was easier for me to get gulf shrimp in Chicago than it is in Tampa, <laughs> and I'm literally, I'm, I'm a stone's throw away from these fishermen's boats, and you guys helped us connect those dots. Yeah, it's really weird. The whole way that the seafood distribution system is set up we've always said is completely convoluted and broken. It makes no sense that, you know, even if you're, if you're living on Long Island or you're living in Florida or on the Gulf Coast, that it should be difficult for you to connect with local seafood. But for so many Americans, it is. It's hard to find really good local seafood, and it makes no sense. <clears throat> It, absolutely. And so now with this whole, where the world is right now, you're obviously selling to a lot less restaurants. And I think that's starting to open up. And obviously, that's a great thing. I think that more people are opening up their restaurants and you're getting back to that. But during that time, a lot of places were closed. What behavior did you see from, from customers? Are they buying new things? What's happening with that? Or what are you seeing? We saw almost overnight a, a huge, huge surge on our home delivery side of the business. You know, the writing was on the wall for restaurants. We all knew that there was closures coming. Everyone kind of in March started to pull back and settle down. And same, we work with a lot of college and universities, some of the best dining programs around the country. They too just have lost an entire spring semester. We were super fortunate. I know a lot of people in our, our, our position of being distributors and suppliers to restaurants were really hurt. But we had our online e-commerce home delivery business overnight go a thousand percent straight up and so we just turned our entire team's focus to figuring out how to staff man restock and deliver with the limitations at hand and it's the same fish a lot of it's really the same fish that we supply to restaurants all around the country just a different product form portions vacuum sealed butcher wrapped and so we've just taken and been able to keep just about everybody on our team just turned to a new audience 
And it's an audience we've been working with for the last few years, which is the, the American home cook. So I guess when, when this is all over and you're going back to selling at restaurants, I'm sure you're going to have a lot more home customers because it was interesting. I was telling somebody about your, uh, about your business the other day and she says to me, well, now you're the third person that's recommended I order from them. So I guess I better get <laughs> on it. And I was like, so people are obviously word of mouth is getting around. But now I, I've also been hearing a lot about certain fishermen or certain types of product that home people are not used to cooking. Like, for example, like oysters, right? Oysters, they say 90% of oysters are sold to restaurants because, I mean, who wants to sit around and shuck oysters? I'm doing right. my part. I did a little bit of a lesson with Emily on my on my Instagram showing people how to shuck an oyster. It's not that hard. Or you yep. can steam them open. And that's a much safer way if you want to do it that way. But are there other fish that are out there that, that you see that you that that you're that home people don't really want to touch? I mean, I know that it's a big thing with, with uh, farmers because, you know, not many people are, are buying squab and quail because they don't cook that at home, although they should. But is there a fish sort of equivalent to that? Yeah, shellfish is a good one. I'd love to circle back with you on that one because shellfish are so great. But our, our whole e-commerce, the way that we're able to deliver to homes is all frozen, flash frozen, right at sea or right at the dock after it gets processed. So it's a really easy product form to work with. But one of the things that we've always focused on is we don't just sell what Americans eat and Americans really are focused on, you know, four fish, as Paul Greenberg's put it, farm salmon, farm shrimp, canned tuna and some sort of a white fish. And that's as that's our language. That's about as far as we go. But that's not what we catch. And we've always focused on the supply side of the business. So what are the fishermen catching? What species are delicious, what populations are healthy to harvest from, and which are the ones that are going to get money back in these guys' pockets. So when you think about a fish like Gulf of Maine redfish or West Coast Dover sole, we do Atlantic winter skate. And some people know it, some people love it. Other people are just stuck in their homes, thinking about fun things to do culinarily, seeing that they could get, you know, coho salmon or sockeye salmon or wild Gulf shrimp from us. And say, why don't I throw a pack of, of skate in there? And figuring out it's absolutely delicious. I mean, I know yeah. you, you've got a French culinary background. I imagine you've, you've you know, dealt with a skate or two in your life. I've, I've cooked my fair share of skate. I've also deboned my fair share of skate. And it's obviously, it's, it's a wonderful fish. But, you know, go, let's, let's, going back to like the idea of frozen, right? So a lot of people are like, oh, you know, frozen, that's not great. But actually fish is one of those things that absolutely, and I remember you telling me the Alaskan fisherman who was doing my, catching my salmon for me, that when they catch the salmon, it is filet and frozen within 45 minutes of being caught and it is like literally when I used to open the package in my restaurant in Manhattan, I mean, you could almost see the shine of the, of the, of the Alaskan water sea. In my mind, you could just, it was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. But this is the scariest part about this. People, there's so many people that are so used to farm-raised salmon when they were getting this beautiful salmon right out of the water from Alaska. They were like, oh, it doesn't taste the same. I'm like, because this is the real stuff. <laughs> it's like, why, what, are you, what is going on? Like, you know, you have to understand that, that, I mean, first of all, I love that anything that has Alaska written on it, and correct me if I'm wrong, means that it's not farm-raised. It has to be, Alaska is like the strongest, most powerful legislation, I guess, around keeping it's the fish It's written real. into the, the state constitution. 
I love that. So what does yeah. it say exactly? You can, uh, you can probably say more of, eloquently than I can. It, it says all of their uh, natural resources, which Alaska is so wealthy, and thus as an extension all of the U.S., we're so lucky to have this, has to be sustainably managed. And this was in 1956 or in the 50s when it became uh, a full state. And it has to they, – they wouldn't allow uh, fish farming on the offshore. Now, they, they do complement it with some hatchery fish. They do do some shellfish aquaculture, some mariculture. But it's all wild caught and it's all sustainable. If it's coming out of Alaska, it's kind of one of those stamps and brands that says, right. like, eat me. I'm good. Well, that, that's the thing. Same thing with shrimp, though. I mean, shrimp boats, they're freezing them practically on the boats or on the docks. And, I mean, you, you want to get that fish that, 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 that's good. And I, I am very much a, um, a true believer in, in fish that is from the Gulf. I mean, because I guess it might have something to do with it because I read that book, Real Food, Fake Food by uh, Larry Olmstead. I don't know if you've probably yep. read it as well. But there are some scary stories about fish coming out of other countries and what they're – how um, shrimp, at least, and the nitrates that they're putting into – them and all these different like chemicals and i'm like i do not i i literally i only eat shrimp unless i'm buying it from you because i know it's from the gulf i mean actually yep. there's another there's another guy who's doing that who i had on a podcast a couple weeks ago who also is selling fish but he's very very local it's called it's called our harvest and and he's doing he's doing a little bit of that too but he's more of a he's doing vegetables and all sorts of stuff but it, it is interesting that you really want to stay to the gulf shrimp i mean literally when i go to a restaurant i usually don't order shrimp because of that i'm like I don't know where if it's not coming from you, I'm not I'm not doing it. And the shrimp's difference a, shrimp's a tough one. Yeah. And the difference in flavor is just it is it is so different. And I can always yeah. tell it. And then where I really find the difference is the next day, if I have leftover shrimp and it's a Gulf shrimp, it still tastes great. Yeah. So people focus on the wrong things sometimes with food, right? And you ever hear people talking about like, oh man, that, that cocktail party, that was that was a fantastic party. Do you, you see the size of those shrimp? And it's like Size are shrimp. I mean, what are we talking about here? Like, it's about the flavor. It, it should taste like shrimp, not necessarily yeah. be this blown up, inflated, created animal. Hey, Mark, not to jump, not to jump around too much, but you you reminded me here of the time we <laughs> rolled into Landmark, and I brought Austin and Wayne, Austin Sollers and Wayne Winters, and those are the two salmon fishermen who had a couple of months off and flew down to New York. They called me on the phone. And they were like. Hey, Sean, uh, hey, listen, we're going to be in Washington, and we thought we'd just hop over to New York and see you. I was like, what are you guys doing in D.C.? They're like, no, we're going to be in, in Washington, like Seattle, and it's, it's just so easy to get to New York. Like, we're already out of Alaska. And they came, and they, we ate, and you stuffed us, and they'd never been. It was at the Time Warner Center, and yeah. it was so cool. And that's when we were talking about coho salmon. And coho being a leaner wild salmon, it's not the same as a, you know, kind of fatty, grain-fed, farmed salmon. And how do we get diners to appreciate that wild fat that's got, you know, a, to a different texture, a different flavor, a different taste than what they're used to? And I know I'm jumping over left and right around here, but that was, that was such a cool day when you were able to meet those guys. Well, you know, I, I used to, because I was never a waiter, I always stayed in the back of the house most of the time. And, and, and this is something that 
my wait staff would be like, well, people aren't, they're, they're telling me the salmon's not what they're used to at other restaurants. And I was like, well, because this is Alaskan salmon that's actually real salmon. And they're like, yeah, but they like the other stuff. They're, they're more used to the other stuff. And I was like, I would just scratch my head and I was literally, I would say to the waiters, well, why don't you tell them that the farm raised stuff is just running around in a big bucket and they have to feed it these pellets and antibiotics and, and, and to grow it so it doesn't get sick. It's living in its own toilet bowl. And, and you want to eat that? And I'm like, they're like, I don't think we could say that to the table. I'm like, no, you probably can't. But, yeah. but that's the way I felt. And it's, it's, it's true. It's like, this is the real stuff. Let's get, exactly. get to it's, it. it. It's the same thing with shrimp, right? And totally. it's, I, I think, I think you and I are, you know, my grandparents were, my, my one set of grandparents were on the South Shore of Long Island, right by Jones Inlet. And I grew up fishing right there and in the inside and on the outside. And like you, you grow up around and you have a very good comfort to shellfish and fish and different kinds of fish. And the other set were up in Cape Cod. And the difference between a really good wild caught fish that you know where it comes from and something that's just on the supermarket shelf is to me, not just the taste, but it's also the health aspect. It's what are you putting in your body and do you know where it's coming from? And it's hard and you don't want to preach from a mantle and you don't want to tell, oh, I grew up around this. But that's part of the fun and responsibility of like what we do is to educate people and to not only kind of tell them what your options are, but figure out how to get it to them. So but, it's great, a, but it's great that a company like yours, I could just order from you and I know I'm getting the right stuff. Yeah, well, we've got a, we've got blinders on. We have a very narrow focus of what we do, and um, the nice thing is, is you know, in the United States, we catch a lot of really beautiful fish that needs markets, and you know, crazy numbers. But we import over ninety percent of the seafood we consume in this country, right? What other food do we import over ninety percent of? While the fish we catch, we export a majority of it. It's like it just literally just like cross at the borders and we get rid of our fish and we bring in other people's fish. And that's where we, that's where we're looking to make that big change and say, Hey, let's, let's look at home. Let's see what we're catching. And, and from what I remember from that book, real food, fake food, I guess uh, most of the fish does not, that's being imported. It does not get inspected. Only like one or 2% of fish that gets imported from outside of our country actually has, is able and, to be uh, checked up on to see if it's actually full of crap or not. Yeah, <laughs> and, a, and a big percentage of that gets rejected. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Let's get down to what does uh, responsibly caught fish mean? Like, is there, what's the definition of that? And I think that's something, because I, I, I look at it and I, I see these huge fishing boats that just go catch everything and they take what they want and they throw everything back that they don't want and, and they keep what they want. But what does responsible fishing look like? And that obviously the people that you work with are, are those types of people. We look at this and think about this and talk about this a lot. It's super complicated. You know, they, they say counting fish in the ocean is like counting trees in the forests if you can't see them, right? You're trying to figure out what your population levels are. You're trying to figure out if your gear type is having excessive negative impact onto the environment. You're seeing, you know, what's the biology of each fish? And we're not scientists. So we're taking the best data that we possibly can. We're taking the advice of other NGOs and, and sustainable-minded organizations like the Monterey Bay Aquarium into account to decide what we feel good about and that what we feel comfortable at the end of the day that we can proudly say, you know what, this is something that we can get behind and tell other people to eat safely and, and sustainably as well. There's three major factors that come into it. You look at the biology of the fish, you know, all fish are different. There's tons of different species of fish. Some fish, like smaller fish, they multiply like bugs and they've just got huge blooms of biomass. Others are larger, longer living, less reproductive fish, like your swordfish and your tunas. So, you, you know, you're more safe eating the ones that reproduce and repopulate than you are the slower growing ones. Although it doesn't mean one's good, one's bad, because you have to look at what's the management is there proper scientific back management with enforceable measures to say that you're not going to take more out of that population than can replenish itself in a, any given time frame, right? And that's a sustainable harvest. You want to let it regrow and be there and, and just basically be a, a, a natural resource piggy bank that you can keep going to and you don't just wipe out all at once. And then the, the last part is you think about what's my harvest method and my gear type? How am I catching these fish and removing them from the environment? And is it affecting others? Do I have bycatch? Do I have environmental destruction? So you take kind of those three measurements and you put it together and you, you look at those numbers and you say either yes or no. But the beautiful thing is that 97%, some high 90 percentile number of U.S. American fisheries are considered sustainable. And the ones that aren't, are currently in rebuilding patterns because it's written into our laws that each management zone within the U.S. has to be responsible for not overfished species and overfishing not occurring. So as long as you have those two measures and you have you have the policing and the enforcement in place, you're you know we're going to feel good about the, the the species we can eat. 
And, and how do you vet your partners that you're working with for the for these types of the people that you buy from? Basically, I mean, what 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 do they look like? Do, you know, give me a little description of those people. First of all, what do their what do their <laughs> offices look like? You know, can you can you can you paint the picture for me? And and how yeah. do you decide who's gonna who you're gonna be buying from? Deciding which species is something that's kind of done on paper, and it's done a little bit in the abstract because it's overall populations and fishery management and harvest levels. But then there's actors within those, right? There's their actual docks that receive fishers, boats that go out and fish. And it's not such a big industry that, you know, it's not known. And that's what I've been doing since I graduated college for the last 14, 15 years is traveling every coastline around America and meeting these guys. So, the first few years before anyone would ever believe that we could do what we could do, which is take their fish and ship it overnight to chefs or to pack it up and send it to individuals' homes. Uh, I did a lot of walking on the docks and trying to like sell myself to these guys of give me a chance, let me buy your fish. These are not, you know, suburban office complex. These are not high rises in Midtown. These are exactly what you would think of, which I romanticize as like the coolest places in the country. They're port towns and docks. They're fish houses and boats. They're working waterfronts with salty ass people who live by the sea and make their living from the wild. They, I, I you know, I'm a like doughy hand lanky, tall, pale guy that grew up in like suburban New Jersey and going around and trying to, you know, tell them that I, I've got a business I'm trying to start that will bring more value to their fish. And it took a while, but through the years, you meet good actors, you meet bad actors. You figure out that you want to surround yourself with people who are like-minded. You want to be able to sleep at night and trust your partners and you want to feel really good about what you do at the end of the day. And so those meetings are still my absolute pleasure. I love to travel to the coasts. I've been tied down like everybody else for the last couple of months. But Mark, I'd love to. I mean, we've we've just missed on a couple of trips. But when you get out there and, you know, you're down in Bayou, Louisiana, and you're just sucking on crawfish boils, or you're up in Alaska and you're eating sablefish collars in the back of a boat, I find that to be just the pinnacle of, of my career. That is amazing. I mean, that, that to me is, I mean, I, I've always said to you and I always want to, I want to get on one of those boats. I want to go meet these people. I want to go shake their probably very rough hands that are, you know, those pulling ropes and traps and so on and so forth. And it's, it's, it's always a, yeah, it's, I love that picture. I love the idea of, of, of fishing. I love, I love all of it. First of all, I mean, it starts with me loving to eat it and cook it. So as much as I can to try to inspire people to do more of that, I think it's, it's, it's important. I mean, cooking the perfect scallop to me is, some, one thing I, I learned while cook, while working in France and Paris, and it's a uh, it's it's a beautiful thing. You you mentioned something just a minute ago about, and I can't remember the name of it. Bycatch is that the, the you you was that a yeah. term that's used? It, it, so bycatch. so bycatch is basically you got a net out, you're trying to catch let's say bass, and all of a sudden you get a fish in there that you don't want and it doesn't really sell. That's bycatch. Is that correct? Exactly. It's like an unintended harvest. Right. right. You, so you're, you're targeting one species, you, you catch another. 
So it was an interesting story for me to understand bycatch a little bit more. And it's oddly enough, I learned about it on the set of Chopped, where one day they brought in this fish called the dogfish. And of course, I know dogfish because there's a beer called dogfish, right? And it's literally, mm-hmm. it's a small shark, right? Am I correct about that? Yes, yeah, a small of, coastal like shark. A small exactly. coastal shark. And it is a big bycatch, I guess, from what I understood. So we were trying to educate people about dogfish and... We had three chefs cook this. There was one guy who was, I think he might have worked for Danielle or or, or maybe Jean-Georges or something like that. Very high-skilled French chef. He debones it and he basically does a little lemon thing with some thyme and he steams it. And he and it was, I, I, I ate it and I was like, this guy made it taste as good as like a turbo, uh, which is one of my other favorite fish from the Mediterranean, from, from France or wherever, right? And I eat this thing. I'm blown away. I'm like, why have I never heard of this fish? So then I, I look it up and I call, I don't know who I called, I I don't think you guys were selling it. I was calling one of my purveyors. Can I get this stuff? He goes, yeah, we got a bunch of this stuff. It's it's cheap as hell. And I was like, oh, this is great. Good for food costs. So we brought it in and I brought my chefs together. I said, listen, there's this stuff called dogfish. I had it on Chopped. It's delicious. I've never heard of it. Have you guys heard of it? Nobody ever heard of it. So we started using it. We came up with ways. We put it on as a special. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me during pre-meal. I'm like, oh, what are we going to – is there another name? Why, we can't go tell our customers our special today is dogfish. And one of my waiters looked at me and goes, well, why not? There's catfish. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Anyway, we ended up selling it. We were, And then I looked into it a little bit more, and it turns out, did you know, I, I didn't know this, but they actually, uh, they sell it to England because it's really good for fish and chips. So I guess a lot of dogfish is actually kept and it's the bycatch and and it's filleted and ready and it goes off and it goes to England for fish and chips. I had no idea. Yeah, that's, you know what, the the Atlantic cod, kind of the famous fish, as populations have declined, what is left is expensive and you know, chip shops aren't exactly talking about hot cuisine here and what are they going to do to Sub in. Dogfish is one of the main fish. We, we always hear that. We always say it. We buy a lot of fish off of the Chatham Pier in Chatham, Cape Cod, and they catch a lot of dogfish. And they catch so much dogfish that 99% of it is exported. It goes to Europe. It goes to France. It goes to Italy. It goes to UK for fish and chips. It goes to Korea. As Americans, we buy almost none of it. And it has taken over the ecosystem. It, it's a, one of those kind of lower down the food chain predators where cod have been removed, dogfish and skate and other fish come up and boom, you have this huge population. We don't know what to do with it. Fishermen are allowed to sustainably take in over 50 million pounds a year, but they only harvest around 25 million because that's all the market there is to actually pay them for it. They have five or 6,000 pound trip limits and they usually get maybe 28 to 40 cents a pound on the fish. So it's a workhorse fishery. So what is this, is this a fish that you would maybe try to, cause we obviously it's a, you have to eat it. It's gotta be fished. It's it's, 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 I think it's delicious. Is that a fish that you could probably sell to people? If there was, if we, I, I look, I'll do the videos, I'll cook, I'll <laughs> show people how to cook this stuff. You fillet it, put it in a package, send it to my house. Let's try to get this stuff sold in this country. Are we going to call it like puppy fish? Where are we going to go with this one? I I don't know. I, you know, I'm just, after my waiter said, you know, this catfish, why not dogfish? I'm like, you're right. Let's just call it dogfish. Cause there is another scientific name for it, isn't there? We do, we do the same thing. And it's got a lot of weird names. They call it, uh, rock salmon. They call it, you know, people just will, will 
try to paint it a different right. lipstick shade and, and say it's not what it is. But dogfish is delicious and it's there. And so it's, we started working with college and universities on it. So we supply dogfish to Ohio State. We supply dogfish to University of Michigan. We supply dogfish to a bunch of big dining services and figure out how to get it in as a healthy, delicious, sustainable protein into their dining halls. How are they preparing it? Are they making fish and chips with it? You know what's super cool is we actually started working. Ohio State did recipe development with us and worked with a local co-packer where we take fish caught in Chatham, processed in New Bedford, Massachusetts, put into uh, skinless, boneless, like, portions for five ounce portions brought to this co-packer who does an all natural breading to it, refreezes the IQF and then pops it in as their fish and chips. And it's That's, been for the last few years, Ohio State University has been doing this breaded dogfish that they custom do their own spice blend. And it works really well on campus. And it's a huge win because if Ohio State's doing just, you know, Ballpark numbers say they do 40,000 pounds of these portions. You only get a 25% yield off the fish into that portion. So 40,000 pounds of portion is actually 160,000 pounds of fish. And if you can pay a fisherman an extra 5 cents or 10 cents a pound over that 28 or 40 cents a pound, it's a huge number, right? Wow. That's That's a big, big difference. And that's just by... You know, a main, like a large institutional feeder like Ohio State decided to do some responsible sourcing like they do across the board and saying we're going to pay a little more for it. And it's got these enormous impacts on the water. And that's that's where we're having a lot of fun, too. That's pretty amazing. I love I love the idea that when, when businesses are, are actually impacting the world in a great way. And obviously, you guys have been doing this for a while. But I did read something which I had no idea about. Uh, but I need to ask you that you guys are a B Corp. And this has something to do with you guys being good people. I don't know what this means. What, what does a B Corp <laughs> mean? And what's the what's the what's the point of it? And maybe maybe I'm completely off base. Maybe it's just some ridiculous thing you have to paperwork for. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. We have to, we just, we pay for this card we carry around in our wallet that says like, we're, we're okay. <laughs> we're, we're good humans. We promise we pass the test. We do a yearly assessment and we pay, a, we happily pay a, a fee for. Uh, B Corp started, we've been a B Corp for 12 years now since the business started. We heard about it years ago. And it started out that there was this idea that it didn't have to be a, a C Corp or an S Corp or an LLC, but businesses could elect to not only return value to their shareholders, but to their stakeholders. So you as a business impact lots of people, right? You, you impact your customers, you impact your suppliers, you impact the environment, you impact your employees. And what if we got together and set up some standards, or at least if not standards, we benchmarked ourselves and we worked towards improvements constantly. And we're really proud of it. It's something that I think a lot of people do, don't necessarily talk about. It's really nice that you can kind of just slap a logo and it's almost like a wink and a nod that you're part of the club. But to us, it just is a reflection of our values that we've always had, which are, you know, try to do good, try to make the right choices, treat people right. And those are basic tenets, but they, they get into a quantifying measure where you can say, hey, if, if I'm doing X percent of waste every single year through my production, how do I bring it down by 10% every year over the next 10 years? And I want to set that self as a goal 
and I'm going to meet it. So what are the rules to be a B Corp and who's monitoring this to see if you can still be a B Corp? Like, is there a, like, could I go on a website and find out all the companies that are doing this and, and, yep. and you know, use them? Yep. How does that work? I, I wish I was ready for the plug. It's going to be easy to find as B Corp. I'm guessing it's bcorp.com. It's, it's measured and audited by B Labs, which is part of their assessment process. So I think you just apply. There are some states where you actually are designated as a corporate legal entity, as a B Corp. And there's some ways that you are, have you keep your existing corporate structure, but are a certified B Corp through B Labs, meaning you adhere to all the guidelines, you pass all the tests, you're doing the right things, but your corporate structure doesn't actually need to change. And I'm not sure where they are with that because we started a long time ago, but they're pretty fantastic. They know that, you know, businesses are made of humans and that humans affect other humans and that like we're here together. So if you have a will and a want to emphasize the good you do, they would be willing to work with you to set your own measures and say, hey, let's move forward. That's really kind of cool. I mean, there's also the, the there's that other club you can be in, which is I mean, I, the Monterey Seafood Watch. You mentioned that earlier. I mean, they have they have their own app. It's called I think the uh, the Seafood Watch app that you can have on your phone, and it depends on the type of fish, and it tells you if this fish is overfished. But but they're constantly monitoring, you know, what's going on in the world, fish fish wise. And is this is this a do you guys talk to them a lot, or do you guys you know are you part of their organization? Are you in their club? I don't know how you, what you'd call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they're great. They're probably one of the best known across the U.S. of sustainability rankings. You know, how do I think about this when I go to the store to buy fish? And they break it down to uh, red, avoid, uh, yellow, good alternative, and green, best choice, so that you don't have to know all the ins and outs like we do on being a true and bona fide fish geek that you can reference an app or look at a guide and, and feel good about the choices you make. And they employ a staff of scientists out based around the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And they're constantly reaching out to chefs, thought leaders, culinarians, and consumers to try to drive a consciousness about your choices and the impacts on the environment. And for that, we're, we're super grateful and supportive in any way we can with them. But they're fun, and we we get into it. I mean, we'll we'll we'll, we'll say, hey, I, I saw your latest assessment of this. Did you think about? And you know, we'll have it back and forth, a good professional conversation. And oftentimes they change our minds, and sometimes we change theirs. But it's all in the spirit of of getting towards progress. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, the whole thing is getting to a point where people understand more. I mean, you were just mentioning earlier about those smaller fish that reproduce more and they're smaller and the bigger ones take longer to take longer to get whatever. But usually I feel like when I look at the Monterey Bay Seafood Watch thing, like all the little sardines, all the little guys are all like, yes, go, they're green, eat, eat them, eat them. But they're also really good for you because they're full, they're oily and they're like really good for your body too, right? Isn't that a lot of those yeah. little tiny fish are really, really good for you. I mean, listen, really I, I ate uh, for lunch yesterday, I had a can of sardines. I'm not going to lie. I love a can of sardines with a toasted baguette and a little slab of butter, but you know, that's the way I do it. I, you know what? I, uh, I want to get more Americans that direction because it's wonderful, right? We all talk about that uh, Mediterranean diet, but there's truly something to it. And if we could eat grilled fresh sardines every day or, if, you know what, my favorite, my favorite is a cocktail bluefish caught in the morning. I eat it for breakfast on the grill. And it's like, it's one of my favorite, cleanest, freshest fish. 
And other people would say, you know, it's too oily and, you know, it's, it's, it's too fishy. I'm not a big fishy guy. Like I, I don't like hard, hard umamis, but eating good, fresh, local fish is, is, it's a no brainer. Oh, I mean, I, you know, when I think about those little fish and talk about freshes, what are those little white baitings? Those white, those little, what are they yeah, called? Little whiting, little fried whiting. So David Pasternak at Eska, I don't know if you've ever been to his restaurant. He's a magician with fish. He's, he's, as he describes himself, he's a, he's a fisherman that happens to be a chef, but an amazing chef at that. But he always, he's those, we're well, going to fry those up for you. They're little, they're fries with eyes. It's a whole fish. He <laughs> deep fries them. Fries with eyes. Fries with like, eyes. I mean, that where the squeeze a lemon, it's the best frito misto you've ever had in your life. So Dave, Dave is in Long Beach, which is close to Jones Beach on Long Island, on the south shore of Long Island. And my grandfather and grandparents have lived in a town called Point Lookout, which is right next to Long Beach, right between Jones Beach for the last 50-something years. And Dave and Artie and a couple other guys were the little rascal kids at my grandpa's marina when they were growing up. And Dave, you know, he's taught me a lot of things through the years that we've gone fishing together. And one of the, one of the best things is Dave, he really taught me to listen and respect to the, the older guys. And, you know, he like basically, because it, it's almost like generation gaps between us, but he'd like slap me upside the head a little bit if he, if he ever saw me getting wise. And he'd say, you know, these guys have caught more fish than you've ever caught in your life. You ever will catch in your life. You listen to these guys. You learn from them. And that's something that's always stuck with me is, you know, close your mouth, open your eyes and listen to the older crowd, especially the guys who've been out there on the water for years and years. Like, what are you going to tell them? And so I think Dave brought that really with him and he brings his love and his passion to cooking. And so you, you get a chance to read his books or, or listen to him about fish. And he's a, he's a whisperer. Well, it's very funny you say that story because, you know, he was my first sous chef when I was a young cook. He was the and he gave me that exact same speech about the kitchen. One day I can still remember it. Well, he yelled at me a lot because I was a young whippersnapper and I was always like talking back. Probably he took me into the office one day and that was the walk-in because you'd shut the door, you could lock it, and you could scream at you and nobody would hear it. And he goes, "Listen, you come to work." You listen to everything, you stop talking back, and you listen to what you want to keep, you keep. What you don't want to keep, you leave it alone. Yeah. But just shut the hell up and do what you do what you're <laughs> supposed to do. And I was always that was that was one of the speeches he gave me. And the other speech he gave me, which I always find very funny, is yeah, I was 19, 20 years old, line young line cook, you know, my first job. I was out partying. Eh, you know, I was a line cook out partying. I remember I got to work two hours late one day. And I had to be at work, I think, at two. And he looks at me and he goes, Murph, where were you? I go, I, I slept. I, I overslept. I'm sorry. It's four o'clock. What do you mean you overslept? And he basically said, somebody else is working your station. You have to, yeah, I had to literally peel a hundred pounds of white onions and slice them very thin on the slicer. And then he took those onions and made it and, and just sweat them down and made a soup with it. So it was basically like filling a hole and digging a ditch. But then at yep. the end of the night, he comes in, the, he comes and he goes, well, it was back in the office in the walk and he goes, Murph, sometimes you got to go home and have milk and cookies. Enough with the partying. <laughs> <laughs> Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. 
give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So let's move on to what, what's, what, is, what does this look like in the future? Are we going in the right direction? What, what's going on, you know, for fishing? Um, is, what's the new trend? I don't know. I know Dover Soul's very, very sort of uh, hip. Is there, is there a new trend coming? I mean, besides yeah. eating Gulf shrimp, which, of course, we're going to make that a trend. But what else do you see coming oh, down the line here? Yeah. And can I assume you're, you're going to just edit this and make, make me sound fantastic and like we can jump around a little bit or are we linear? <laughs> we, here? We're just going straight through. It doesn't matter. People love listening to us talk about whatever. It's fine. Ah, uh, you know, the thing that I'm going to just put you and Dave Pasternak together in, in another lesson that you all taught me is you treat, you treat people well. And that's something that Dave had met me at the kitchen door every single time. You did the same thing. And you listen and, and you respect people. And I just wanted to pay that homage to you, Mark. You've always done that. You always treat people fairly and with kindness and with time. And you give them the attention. And that's something that everyone should really absorb and, and pass on. And so uh, you learn good lessons. You keep the good ones. <laughs> you let the other ones go. Exactly. Um, well, thank you. That's very nice. Here's two, two things, I think, that are going on in seafood. Like it's the hottest new TikTok trend you could imagine. One... I want to I want to geek out and tell you all about frozen fish because I think people are finally starting to get around to frozen food, especially when you're stocking your pantries and like worrying about what's next is maybe people are finally open their ideas. Every time I've moved to a new place, I, I make sure the first thing I buy is a chest freezer. The next thing I buy is a Weber grill and I, I eat out of my chest freezer. I always have and catching fish growing up, you eat what you can fresh and you freeze the rest as quickly as you can. You don't wait and waste it. You, you, you predestine it to say, hey, this is going to feed me for a while. And it's the same thing we do with our boats. They don't go out. The old school way of thinking is that, you know, you go to the fish market and you, you get the fish and you try to sell it on Monday. If you can't sell it on Monday, you try to sell it on Tuesday. If you can't sell it on Tuesday, you try to sell it on Wednesday. You dress it up, you make a good sign on Thursday. And if you can't sell it on Friday, you freeze it. Right. And that's that's kind of what people have an experience of frozen fish of like fish fingers and smelly frozen fish. Not anymore. I mean, the boats, the salmon boats that were fishing for you and still fish for our e-commerce, they have blast freezers in them that bring temperatures down to negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit on whole fish within 60 seconds. It is insane. 
I mean, the scallops are frozen in liquid nitrogen Willy Wonka tunnels shortly after being shucked from the sea. You're basically taking the freshest, best ingredients in peak season and shocking them. And if you think about it, and you just cut me off and just wave your hands if I just keep talking too much, but we're all made of the same thing. We're all made of water, right? That's our cellular structure is almost entirely water. And when you freeze, water expands, right? And so what happens when you freeze slowly is water expands slowly and you get a lot of cellular damage. Your structure within the flesh of the fish, those cells expand slowly if you freeze slowly and they break. And then if you refresh quickly, like you try to run it underwater or you, you defrost it in the microwave, it does the inverse and it collapses and all this water leaks out. And it's really gross. It's mushy. But if you freeze really quickly, you're basically suspending and trapping the freshness of that fish. And so you shock it. You almost just boom. You put a stop on time and then you hold it at super cold temperatures and you refresh it gently over time and you thaw in under refrigeration and you can't tell. I mean, we say, we say, we say, uh, frozen is fresher than fresh because oftentimes a really good piece of frozen fish is better than anything you can find at the supermarket. That's a beautiful description of it. And I think that, that, that makes so much sense. And thank you for, thank you for painting that picture for me because I think those were, that's something that I've, I've, I've learned now as well. But when you're saying you're thawing it out, you just put it in the refrigerator. What about, cause I, I always, I've always been taught as a chef, you put everything, you put it under cold water. Uh, you put it in cold water and you let, like if you're defro- if you're thawing out a chicken and you leave it on the counter, it takes like a day and a half. But if you yep. put it into a, 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 a hotel pan or a bucket or whatever and put cold water in it, it thaws out much more evenly and much quicker. Yep. I mean, cellular structures like everything, they, they want a, a homeostasis. They want an evenness. And so you have a transfer of heat under cold water that's going to be slower than sitting out into a counter and and sweating. But it happens more fluidly and smoother. So it actually happens quicker. I mean, the best way to do it, like when we do it at our docks, because we'll do frozen at sea fish, caught, gutted, bled, uh, blast frozen at sea, and then we'll bring it back after the end of the trip and we'll refresh it and then fillet it and pin bone it and portion it and freeze it again, twice frozen. But that twice frozen is the best you ever had. And when you bring it back up, we actually put it in bubblers. And it's like a, a, a massaging cold water that's slowly kind of like, it's science fiction. I mean, we're talking about like fish coming, coming back from being two hours old to right back to that freshness of being two hours old. Well, and a so, lot of people, a lot of people don't know that most of the sushi fish is frozen. I mean, they, you, they have to freeze it, don't they? They have to freeze it. Yeah. That's uh, most health departments, county health departments say you have to do parasite destruction prevention, which is bringing it down under a certain temperature over a certain period of time. I mean, I, one of the things I, I, I'm, I'm really lucky. I mean, you, you get surrounded by really good food. And one of the things that I kind of find myself constantly surrounded by is really good fish. And, it, you know, I've chosen that life. And how do I eat? I eat 95 out of hundred times frozen fish yeah. and it's wonderful. And I don't do it at, at any sacrifice. I do it out of quality and ease and convenience and price. And so I don't think twice about it. And that's kind of the idea of our e-commerce business is how do you how do you copy what you do at home and what you do with your own fish and what you do for your family? And how do you do that across the country? How do you make that more widely available? Because if we started to think about frozen fish, 
you'd probably start switching this whole importing 90% and exporting 80% because you can actually capture those fish that are available and eat them year round when you can and when the pricing is the best. And so, well, that's, we're, we're, you know, we're huge, I'm a huge fan. I could go on forever. I'm I'm no, singing, I think you're, I'm this is this is a great this is great education. I mean, it's obviously I want to I want to give your you know seatatable.com a plug here, but I also wanted to you know hear your insight on, on on why you're doing what you're doing, and this is exactly what I wanted to do. I have one last question for you, and it has something to do with coming out of the sea, but it's not a fish; it's kelp. Can you give me your what do you what do you what are your thoughts? What do you think? I just to give you a heads up. I I've been talking about this a lot. I I I read that book uh, Eat Like a Fish by uh Bren Smith and it was it was I it was eye-opening and then I got to with Melissa Clark got to cook a lot of different dishes that had not, you know, all sort of interpretations of kelp and I loved it. I thought it was great. Are you what what are your thoughts and are you going to be selling that cuz I would buy it. Yeah, you know, sometimes you wish you had like more than one life to live. I think kelp is so cool. I think it is a frontier that we're just tapping into. And I've, I've eaten it and had it a hundred different ways in between chips and kelp noodles and smoothies. And it's a no brainer to me. I mean, from an environmental standpoint, there's just this reproductivity and fertility to the ocean producing vegetables, right? And so can we figure out how to harvest two thirds of the earth? And can we figure out how to take these nutrient rich vegetables and like bring them back into our diet? It's still a little outer spacey. Like people are still like, oh my gosh, seaweed and not sushi. Like how do you, you're going to eat that as like kelp noodles with a sauce. But I think it's awesome. And I, you know, there's a couple of great companies out there, Barnacle Foods, uh, Bren over at Thimble Island, figuring out how to make this happen. And I have absolutely, we're, we're kind of just now keeping up with all the demand um, on the e-commerce and home delivery. And we're going to soon be introducing a whole bunch of new species and, and new fish. And I really hope that kelp is part of the offering. I think it's just something that Americans will definitely benefit from. Well, that'd be great. I, I did, when I was recipe testing and playing around with kelp with uh, Melissa, we roasted a chicken where we took, I think it was carrots, onions, and potatoes and tossed it with a bunch of kelp and olive oil and garlic. And we laid it on the bottom of a roasting pan and we had one of those grills to put, and we, we trussed a chicken and put it on top of it. And that chicken cooked with all of these vegetables and the kelp below it. And what was amazing about it is the kelp that was on the bottom was just flavorful and succulent. And it was just, it was just delicious. And then on the top, it got crispy and crunchy. <laughs> and the two contrasts of the kelp with the vegetables, with the onions and the mm -hmm. carrots and the, and the chicken, and the fat, chicken coming down. fat coming down. Yep. It was mind blowing. We were both wow. like, Oh my gosh, this was amazing. So yeah, I, I need to try to recreate that and try to get more of that, get more of that in my diet. Let's put it that way. That sounds to me like a chicken lobster bake. It's sort of a, it was, it was, it was, I got to tell you, it was amazing. Steam it up. That sounds awesome. You know, one, one other thing I think uh, super, super cool. And I think people are going to get really hip on because they already have is we've always, and we've worked with you and your restaurants to it is full fish utilization, right? And it's figuring out how to use all the parts of the fish. And I'm not talking about like, fish gizzards and tails and fins. But when you're cutting perfect little center portion cuts, 
you still have napes and necks and bellies and tails and you have pieces that don't miss and make and you know other proteins will make chicken nuggets or they'll make ground we've teamed up with a really cool company called imperfect foods who their mission is to go and find you know vegetables that are too ugly to put into a, a retail case and find a home for them and we just started talking and we said hey listen we've got these awesome Alaskan sockeye salmon or coho salmon or sh shrimp pieces that break in the peeling process. And what do you say that we figure out how to take really good, high quality proteins, even if they're not perfect in their form and, you know, get them into people's homes. And chefs have been doing this forever, right? You, you, yeah. you see a, a steal from a purveyor and you say, I, I want, give me that. I'll, I'll make <laughs> delicious food out of that. No, that's that's awesome. I love that you guys are always on the forefront and 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 looking to expand your business in that sense. And and it's all all under the eyes of using all, all the product. And it's really really cool. Well, I want to thank you. I think you've 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 enlightened me as you always do every time I see you. So you know when you tell me I'm gracious and I used to come out of the kitchen and talk to you every time, it was, it was probably a selfish thing because I knew I was going to learn something when I talked to you. So that, this is exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast today. And I want to thank you and hope everybody's doing well at your house and your company and uh till next time i think we'll be able to you know discuss more things about fish and by the way i definitely want to take you up on one of those fishing trips and if i'm out in long island as well so if pasternak's going out and you're with him you better call me because i'm coming with you guys we'll pick you up on the way and we'll have plenty of time to uh to chew the fat this was really nice thanks for having me mark awesome man thanks so much <laughs> place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.